Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Hi, church. My name is Megan. My pronouns are she, her. For this worship series, it would have been enough. We are borrowing a pattern of storytelling that is closely related to the Exodus story. It's called dayenu, which is a Hebrew phrase that means it would have been sufficient implying that something more, something extra, follows that phrase. Dayanu is also a cheerful song sung by Jewish families at their Passover meals. It tells the story of God's liberation of our ancestors as a series of escalating gifts from God. We're learning to tell our own stories in this Dayanu pattern so we can experience the escalating gratitude that it provokes. Today, it's my turn to share one of my own Dayanu stories with you. It would have been enough if after a hard, teary-eyed freshman year of college, God gave me just one consistent friend. But then, God gave me more than just that one stable friend. He gave me friends that made me laugh harder than I've ever laughed before. Die knew. It would have been enough if God gave me these well-humored friends that year. But then, God also let those friends hold me in the bathroom as I cried about not wanting to be a Christian anymore, mad at the way I'd spent most of my adolescence attempting to convert diverse, beautiful humans to my truth. Die knew. It would have been enough if God had let those friends hold me that night in the bathroom as worship music blared in the background. But then God orchestrated that those friends and I would deconstruct everything we believed in together at the same time. Die knew. It would have been enough if God orchestrated those friends and I to deconstruct our beliefs all at the same time. But then, God made two out of the three of us queer. (laughs) And the other one out of three a great ally. Dayenu. It would have been enough that God made two out of the three of us queer and the other a great ally. But then God sent all three of us away to different cities to pursue different things, to make more friends and a longer, much more roomy table, ready for the days when we come back together again. Dayenu. We're telling these Dayenu stories over these weeks because we're reading through Exodus, not every word, but here at the beginning of our time in this book, we are reading most of the words, Um, and because our ancestors in faith told their own stories in this way, and so we're sort of, we're leaning into Exodus, the story of our ancestors' liberation, and reading these stories as a series of escalations of God's action and the, the miracle of God's strong arm and mighty hand as God continues to do what God's going to do. So tonight we pick up exactly where we left off last Sunday uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, and I'll be reading well into chapter 4. I'm going to try to go fast on the parts that are a little less salient for our worship tonight, so hang in there with me. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. Moses looked, 
and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, "Uh, here I am. Then the Lord said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The Lord said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The Lord said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship me on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. God said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my title for all generations. Now go on, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have given heed to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt, and I declare that I will bring you up out of the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord... The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us now go a three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. I know, however, because I'm God, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will perform in it. After that, he will let you go. I will bring this people into such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman living in the neighbor's house for jewelry of silver and of gold 
and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But suppose they don't believe me or listen to me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? Moses said, A staff. And the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground, and it became a snake, and Moses drew back from it. And then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand, seize it by the tail. So Moses reached out his hand and grasped the snake, and it became a staff in his hand, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak, He put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was leprous, as white as snow. And then God said, put your hand back into your cloak. So he put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his body. If they will not believe you or heed the first sign, they may believe the second sign. And if they will not believe even these two signs or heed you, well, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, sir, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech, slow of tongue. And then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak? But Moses said, Oh my God, please send someone else. Well, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And the Lord said, "Ah, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks fluently. Even now he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, his heart will be glad. Speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I'll be with your mouth, and I'll be with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. And Aaron indeed shall speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you, and you shall serve as God for him. (laughs) Take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Two quick stories about me, and then we'll talk about God. I'm sorry. That's just funny. I, so It's so absurd. Uh, Alicia, this first one is for you. <clears throat> 92, he said as I rolled my window down, and yes, I was rolling it down. I didn't know a car as crappy as this could go 92. No, sir, neither did I, I said to the highway patrolman as I handed him my driver's license, somewhere between Snyder and Post. Hayes, he said, are you Joe and Glow's kid? Yes, sir, I said, on my way home to see him, hoping it would help. It did not. I still got a ticket I could ill afford, but as we parted, he told me to tell my folks hello and that he was out here keeping their kids safe, which I did, because if he knew them, it was only a matter of time 
before they were going to hear about it anyway. Story number two. Fifteen years or so later, I was serving my first capital D Disciples congregation. The decision to call me for that position had not been unanimous in the congregation, partly because I was fresh out of a lifetime in the Church of Christ. If you know, you know. And the people who knew that were, let's just say, afraid to trust me. I get that. One woman who was particularly turned off by my presence and pretty much anything I did in the entire five years I was there was brave enough to say the quiet part out loud. She stood in the doorway to my church office and said, we were here a long time before you got here and we will be here long after you're gone. Don't you forget it. I have not. And she was right. I'm here, and she and her beloveds are still there doing church together without any help from me. Now let's talk about God. God got into our story at the very end of last week's reading. After the Pharaoh enslaved the immigrant Hebrews, after the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson Pharaoh became afraid of what generational trauma might raise up in the enslaved race, after the women plotted to subvert Pharaoh's nationalist Egyptian supremacist decrees, after the rescued baby Moses was all grown up and coming to terms with his own confused identity as an adopted son of privilege and yet still kin to the enslaved working class. God wasn't there for any of that, as far as we know. But when the enslaved descendants of Jacob woke up one day and knew that they'd had enough, that their suffering had overspilt the limit of what a body or a body of people can take, when they woke up and found their collective voice and groaned and cried together, sending their complaint to the skies without an address or even a name attached. That's the day God got into the story. That's the day God started doing stuff. And the first thing God did was, God got God's self a partner, a human being with a body who could move through this world and make stuff happen. I don't know why God needs a human being with a body to make stuff happen in this world, but if you think about it, the Bible can be read as a story of a God always on the lookout for human beings with bodies to make stuff happen. Go figure. So God gets Moses, of course. You don't put a gun on the mantle in Act 1 unless it's going to go off in Act 3, right? You don't save an endangered baby in Chapter 2 unless it's going to grow up to be God's agent for the rest of the story. But God does not get Moses without some conversation with Moses, without Moses' consent. God could, but God doesn't. 
And that's one of the many ways God is not like Pharaoh, and life with God is not like life under Pharaoh. God does not take what God wants. God encourages and empowers what God wants. So for Moses, God is willing to hang out for a minute and negotiate from that shrub that burns but does not burn up. Take your time. We'll work it out, God seems to say. We're not going to run out of kindling. Moses' first question about the plan that God has proposed is, who am I? Chapter 3, verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? To which God responds, chapter 3, verse 12, I will be with you. Or to paraphrase God, if I may, it kind of doesn't matter who you are, dumbass. It matters who I am. To which the dumbass, who maybe isn't so dumb after all, responds, well, okay, then, who are you? Verse 13. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? What am I going to tell them? Now, here's where we recognize that God has already told Moses and will tell Moses again and again and again for a total of four repetitions in our reading for tonight that God is who? The God of Moses' ancestors, more specifically, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, in my own prayers, I like to make that a little more expansive. The God of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, for example, to keep in mind that the patriarch fathered children by two women, the descendants of whom worship the same God to this day. See, we have a history, God has told Moses, like the highway patrolman who knew my family. Before you were around, before you had a driver's license, before you came out here with Jethro's sheet, before you were married, before you were traveling Highway 84 trying to make your way home, before this bush caught fire, before you knew anything about anything, I know the people you came from. I've been around a long time, God says, and I'm banking on that to bring some credibility to my claim here. Is it working? And Moses says, well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to tell him that part, that it's the God of old Abraham and his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob that I met out here, but it's been a real long time since we heard anything from you or about you, all due respect. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been in the ground for longer than we can remember. You feel me? You got anything else? And God says, Well, God says a thing I cannot say because nobody can say it, not really. God says a name that is written as four letters in Hebrew and thus called the Tetragrammaton, Tetragrammaton, four letters by scholars. The Tetragrammaton is pretty well unpronounceable, this word. It's just about untranslatable. It's something close to a state of being verb, which you might remember from elementary school grammar lessons. You know, verbs that don't really do anything, not like run or jump or dream or organize, but rather just are, like is or am or was, or were, or will be. Moses asks God for God's name, and God just says, I am. Or, I am who I am. Or, I am what I am. Or, I have been and I will be 
or I've been here for a long time before you got here, and I'll be here a long time after you're gone. Don't you forget it. A technical note, in the scriptures of the Hebrew Bible, or the Old Testament as we sometimes call it, when you see the word Lord written out in all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the tetragrammaton, that unpronounceable, untranslatable word that God called God's self in the burning bush. All caps, Lord, is a circumlocution. It's a word that we use to keep from saying another word we don't want to say, like saying loss instead of death to soften the terrible power of mortality. Or all kinds of made-up words for body parts for which the clinical names simply feel too intimate. Or fudge instead of, well, I only say that word when I really, really mean it. The name for God is kind of like that. It's a word that should not slip easily off the tongue, a word that signifies something terribly powerful, deeply intimate, something we should only voice when we really, really mean it. And so we write LORD, L-O-R-D, all caps, to stand in for whatever God said to Moses from that flicker of fire, something like, I have always been... I will always be, I am, don't forget. Something in my formerly fundagelical heart takes that very personally. Like God is here pointing out my own transience, my own smallness in the grand scheme of God's big dream for the world. I wonder if Moses might have thought that too, given his further worries that his kinfolk won't believe him and that he's ill-equipped to be a spokesperson for God and that there's surely somebody else better suited for the job. Please, please send somebody else. He begs of the great I am. His imposter syndrome is about a mile deep. And isn't it just like God to pick somebody so deeply insecure to do the next great thing that God is going to do? But what if God's great, big, unpronounceable, untranslatable state of being name, God's I have been and I will be tetragrammatical declaration of God's own ungraspable self is not in the first place about God versus Moses. After all, God wants Moses on God's side, right? God is demonstrating something we know to be true about God, that God wants partners, embodied agents, who move through the world, getting God more of what God wants. No, my formerly fundagelical heart has come to understand that the contrast that matters most here and throughout the book of Exodus is God versus Pharaoh. The thing you want to understand about pharaohs, God is saying, is that pharaohs come and go. Oceans rise, empires fall. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The span of a pharaoh's life is the same as any other human. Three score and ten, four score if he's lucky. The pharaoh is dust, and to dust he shall return. But God... 
the God of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who knew your parents and your parents' parents, this God will outlast Pharaoh. God's name is the certain and durable presence of God. God has always been. God will always be. Pharaoh and all the suffering Pharaoh has wrought, all the groaning and the crying, all the oppression and the pain, all the paranoia and the attempted elimination of your kind, these are transient, says the Lord, and small, because I am who I am, says the Lord, all caps, unpronounceable, untranslatable. Tell him that, God says to Moses. Tell him that's my name. Two days ago on September 1st, Texas State Senate Bill 14 went into effect with the endorsement of the 88th legislature, the signature of the governor, and the stamp of approval from the state Supreme Court. SB 14 says that trans and gender diverse minors in our state cannot get the health care they require because it is now illegal for doctors and nurses and pharmacists to provide that care. Even mental health professionals in our state no longer feel safe to help kids through becoming the whole person they are meant to be. So tell them, God says to me, but not to me alone. God says to the church, all its people, tell them my name. Tell them, I have always been and I will always be. Tell them the unpronounceable, untranslatable name of God. Tell them that Pharaoh has a shelf life. The legislature has a shelf life. The governor has an expiration date. The Supreme Court, appointed for life or not, is not long for this world. They are dust and to dust they will return. But I am who I am. I knew their ancestors and I knew yours, and I will be here long after they're gone, still seeking agents with bodies to move through this world and make stuff happen, getting me more of what I want. This is what I have always done, and this is what I will always do. I am the L-O-R-D. Tell them that, Moses. Tell them that, church. And so we will. And so we do. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.